This podcast is proudly brought to you by Adventure Professionals. www.adventureprofessionals.com.au That first trip for me personally, being able to achieve that myself, I was really proud of the experience that I did and Dad was, was quite sick at the time too and getting sicker so I sort of did that for him as well so I was like, yeah, he's going to be really proud of what I've done. Proud of what I've done. Welcome to the Kokoda Track Podcast, hosted by former soldier Glenn Azar. This is the place to hear stories from those who've trekked Kokoda and gain tips and knowledge about what to expect on the track or to relive your own amazing experiences. The Kokoda Track Podcast, keeping the spirit of Kokoda alive. Hey guys, welcome back to the Kokoda Track Podcast. I'm Glenn Azar and today I've got a very, very good friend of mine who now works in my business with me and is an integral part of it, Sammy Dunk. Welcome, Sammy. Thank you. So you've done Kokoda twice as a client first and now we're working on the track on the track together. So I guess I want to talk through all of those transitions, but let's start with... Uh, the very first time you went to Kokoda, what made you want to go and what was that experience like? Um, so back in 2013, um, yeah, myself and my, and my best friend um, Matt decided to do the Kokoda track. Um, at that time, it was more so for, I guess, the physical experience. We'd heard a lot about the track through uh, history lessons and, and things at school. Um, and also in my family, dad was in the army, my brother in the Navy as well. So there was a bit of military history, um, there as well. But yeah, my best friend, Matt just said, oh, you know, something for us to do together. That would be a really cool, um, physical experience. Um, what do you think about doing the Kokoda track? Cause we'd, we'd spoken about doing, um, Kilimanjaro as well. Um, so yeah, he was the one that actually did all the research, um, side of things and and sourced out your company um, based on reading about the military history and how um, experienced you were in, in delivering that for uh, the tour and that authenticity that, that we could get from that trip. So, um, yeah, that's when we decided to sign up um, for the trip back in, in April in 2013. Um, yeah, so the, the trip itself was was amazing. I um, I did all the the physical training um, that was required and probably a bit more. I'm, I'm quite a fit person and and love the physical aspect um, of keeping fit. So made sure that I, I stuck to the, the fitness prog- program that you'd sent through and, and sort of did a bit more as well. Um, and I remember you saying through the phone calls that you'd given us that the more physical training that you do, um, the more um, enjoyment you actually get out of the experience itself um, and the military history. You're not just sort of putting one foot after the other each day going, oh, when's this going to end? Um, yeah, also, yeah really... it's, it's not just about trying to survive each day, right? It's about actually enjoying it enough to take time to look around and, and, yeah, absolutely. and talk to the locals when you get to villages rather than just getting to your tent and going, oh, I am buggered. Yeah, and I mean, you also said at the start, you said, you know, everyone's going to have a bad day. Um, and for me, that was day number two. Um, that was a really bad experience when I um, had a bit of the tummy bug and... You know, I got through the day, but you were you were really correct in, in saying that everyone has a bad day, and whether or not it's physically or, or mentally, in trying to get through the trip. But yeah, ensuring that I was physically fit was um, something really important to me, so I could enjoy the military aspect of of Kokoda itself. And um, 
yeah, so we got over there and instantly I felt a connection to the country and the people that I'd never experienced before um, traveling. I haven't done a lot of traveling overseas, um, but the traveling I had done was more, you know, the touristy type, just seeing places for what they are. But as soon as I, I set foot in the country and, and stepped, you know, off the truck at Kokoda, it was a weird experience. And I remember saying it to people at the end of the trip. It was like I'd come into a country that I, I felt like I'd spiritually been before. Um, yeah, and it was just this weird sort of aura that I, I couldn't explain to start with until I reflected on it a few weeks um, after the trip itself. So, yeah, having that connection, you know, before I'd even actually spoken to locals and, and gotten to know um, the culture of the place was, yeah, it really took me back and it became a really emotional uh, trip for me from, from start to finish. And, um, yeah, I felt like this really strong connection to um, the country and... And you it's still just, have that, really, don't you? In. You still oh, have that connection. Yeah. Like you're like me. Every yeah. time we get to go over there, we get excited again. And I watch videos yeah. or and see photos, and I go, "Oh, I actually can't wait to go back." Yeah, it just pulls you in every time, and every time that you go over there, it's a different experience every time as well. No um, trip that I've had with you, um, you know, as a client and then as a trek leader, has ever been the same. Um, yeah, for numerous different reasons, and. I love the place for what it what it gives back to me and what it, it gives to me, not just physically, but um, mentally. It just recharges me to come back into civilian life, um, you know, back into Australia, and I feel recharged to to do what I do, yeah. Well, it's interesting because people always say, and I'm sure you get this as well, why would you go and do it again? And I always tell them it's about the people. It's about the people that trek, obviously. Um, and, you know, you've got this on your first experience. It's about trying to take them through an emotional journey of history. And it's about the local people. You know, Killer and his boys um, going through the villages. As you know, we've got such a strong connection with, with Killer and his family and, and all of the boys that work with him. And it's hard to explain to people that haven't been there. It is. It's really difficult to explain. And I guess, you know, doing these podcasts, it, it really does open up um, that understanding, hopefully, that people can then go, oh, right, okay, I, I sort of get it, or they can relate to another experience that they've had and be like, oh, I want to have that experience again in a different country and with different um, types of people as well. Yeah. So there's a couple of things to go over. Firstly, on that very first trip, so forget all the other trips, on that first trip, um, did one, did you really know what to expect? Did it live up to what you expected? Was it different, better? You know, I guess the, we all have this preconception of what we're going to go through, and then when we get there, it can be very, very different. What was your sort of feel on that very first one? Well, I guess um, you always think, okay, Dakota equals hot, humid, and wet. And, you know, you read about it all before you go and, and, um, yeah, you you have that picture in your mind. So for me, I thought, you know, it's probably going to be a really wet experience being in April. Um, it's definitely going to be hot and humid, and it lived up to those expectations. Um, yeah, so weather-wise, you know, I think we were quite lucky. We we had rain, but it was really towards the, the later end of the day, um, and it was sort of once we got our tent set up and that type of thing, so we were quite lucky <laughs> yeah. for most of the trip. Um, but I remember um, 
Yeah, was saying to us that I think it was the month leading up to the trip itself that um, they'd had a lot of rain. So we, it was very wet underfoot. Yeah. Um, and then the river crossings and that type of thing were um, were pretty hard going. I remember us crossing Brown River and we had to, the boys had to um, put a rope across. They had to take our bags across and um, and then we had to jump in and hold on to the rope <laughs> and hope that we didn't let go. <laughs> how, so, how good are they at building those bridges and working oh, together as a team? And there's no yelling yeah. and screaming. There's no one in charge. It kind of just flows. It's so cool to watch them in and they love it. Oh, they're just yeah, yeah, they're such happy people and they love looking after us. It's just, you know, it is that fuzzy-wuzzy angel spirit that, that stays with them and, and goes through the generations, which is so good to see. So, yeah, yeah I guess weather-wise, the, the expectation that I had, yeah, I guess lived up to, to what I thought. Um, physically demanding-wise, I was really happy with how I went and I think that was, you know, what I said before with the training that I'd, I'd put in um, previously. Um, I should point yeah, out to people again, listening um, that you are a machine, though. <laughs> like, yeah. I should bring to the fore that you you had baby Reuben, so your first baby, and then what was it? Five months later, you went and did Kokoda again yeah, as a trek leader this months. year. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so you are. <laughs> yeah, no, that one. yeah, you're a different beast, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I thank you for that compliment. But um, you know, in saying that, we had people with us on that trip that were in their 60s that absolutely smashed it. And I think mentally-wise, um, that's more the trick to it. Um, you know, like I said, you know, you can be physically prepared as much as you can, but you also really do need to be mentally prepared for those long days because, you know, we did 12, 14-hour days, which is something that I didn't um, really think would happen to a degree. I knew we had... I'm usually a person that likes sort of set routine and schedule, and I remember one day, I think it was because another um, another tour company had, had set up camp where we were going to camp. So we had to have quite a short day. And I think the next day we had like a 14-hour day or something, set off at 5 in the morning, got into camp at 7.30 that night. <laughs> and that was a tough day. But, you know, your words and, and the encouragement of the porters and, and all that was just amazing. And... Each day was different, and that's something I didn't expect either. Every day was absolutely different to the to the last, and even the environment that you were in changed. So you're in, you know, um, really wet, swampy grounds one day, and then all of a sudden you're in the rainforest, um, really enjo- enjoying, you know, all the sounds around you and, and what it had to bring. So, yeah, and I've said that before, you know, every trip's been different, but for me, I didn't expect like the vast um, difference in the environment um, for that first trip. So let's fast forward a little bit because it's very, very mm-hmm. unusual for people to do Kokoda more than once. Um, yeah. yeah. And it does happen, of course, and twice is kind of a limit for a lot of people unless they're working on the track, of course. Um, yeah. So what prompted you to then go on a second trip? Because I remember we started talking initially about you doing a different adventure and then from my yep. memory something came up and you said to me you know what I'm really being drawn back to New Guinea and I said well then yeah, go, so go back to New Guinea don't do Killy if you're being drawn to New Guinea yeah um so in 2013 I, I did Aussie 10 as well um that year in October which was fantastic and that was good just to to keep the hiking boots on and, and keep the blood going with that and then I remember um Alyssa wanted to take a group over for her summit attempt in 2015 um, and I'd registered for that yeah 
And at the time, um, yeah, we had a lot of things going on. So I lost dad in, in 2014. So that was a, a big strain on the family and just having to support uh, mum and my brother um, back at home. Mm. So, yeah, financially, you know, things got a little tough. And I remember saying to you that I, I really need to rekindle like that that spiritual connectedness that I've got with the people in Papua New Guinea. And I, I just needed that mental recharge again. Um, yeah, and that's when you said to me, well, why don't you do Kokoda again? And I thought, why don't I? So, <laughs> yeah, I signed up again and and there I was back in April in, um, in 2015. And what was different, do you think, between those two trips? Like, what's the difference when you have a little bit more knowledge about what to expect? Well, I think the biggest thing... Um, was knowing the track itself. And even though the experience was different, I knew sort of what I was um, what I was coming into, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I knew, um, you know, the villages and what I'd be, the experience that I'd be coming into um, for each of the, the villages and what the people would be like. But then in saying that, the experience itself was completely different as well because we stayed in different spots the weather was completely different. Um, I think we had quite a, a really dry trip, that trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were very lucky in that regard. I think there was only one or two nights where we had a fair bit of rain. But, um, yeah, it is – it's still – it's hard to put it into words how every experience is so different. But for me, it's very much that, that spiritual connectedness to the people and what they bring back to you as well and the interactions that you have with the locals and the kids. Um, yeah, you just, you can't buy that. And it's it's different every time. And it's different with the group of people that you go with as well. Um, and that's what I, I really enjoy too, is, is getting to know, um, you know, why people have, have chosen to do it um, and experience their journey along the way, I guess, as well. So, yeah, yeah it was a smaller group that time. Um, for April, I think there was only was it eight of us. Oh, it was a small number, yeah, eight mm. or nine. So it was mm. really nice. We all really connected really well and, and got to know each other really well. So yeah, it was just a really nice trip, and I did that one on my own. Um, so it was good. So I could sort of share with them what I'd experienced before. Obviously, not you know giving too much away because I wanted yeah. them to experience their own thing. But um, yeah, I guess it sort of it gave me a bit more confidence going in that, you know, I knew I had the ability, um, yeah, to do it and do it successfully and just re really enjoy it for, for what it was again. And, and again, I got that, that mental recharge out of, of the trip, which was really um, why I went back um, that time. It's funny when you say that you didn't want to give too much away, and this was your second trip, because I regularly don't give too much information away. And sometimes things happen and people go, oh, you, you should have warned us about that. But I... I find this balance between giving them enough information to help them on the trip but not taking the adventure off them because I don't want to rob them of the trip either. I think most people do it once, so I want them to have that experience as best they can without me stepping them all the way through from A to Z so that nothing adventurous happens, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too is like you might give them a bit of information about something and then it doesn't actually happen or something completely different occurs. So, yeah, yeah that's the thing of, and the beauty about the Kokoda track is it's... It's um, it's always changing, I think, yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel fairly confident that it was on that trip, somewhere through that trip, where I said to you, you should consider 
coming on this and learning to lead trips and I and being a staff member and I remember thinking that because of your passion for the people not just the trekkers but the local people I, you just know when someone has a connection with PNG because I have that connection and you can see it in someone else so I'm pretty sure it was on that trip that we first started to really talk about that yeah yeah it was I think it was like you know the second or or third last day and um yeah we just had a little um chat on the quiet um and that was with another track leader of yours at the time and yeah it was really um complimenting that um you'd said that to me and I thought yeah I'd, you know I'd really love to do this would be was it something you'd ever really thought of or considered or was it kind of come out of the blue of it well, it was definitely out of the blue because of the trip that we did in 2013. Obviously, I was just doing that as a, you know, as a tourist and to experience, mm. um, you know, the Kokoda track for what it was. But yeah, as soon as I got that hiking blood into me, and then having that connection with um, with the locals, yeah. And I remember saying to you, like, if I if I didn't have those commitments back home, I reckon I could live here for a couple of years and be pretty happy. <laughs> well, yeah. I say that all the time to people. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful place. So let's fast forward again to your first trip as a staff member. How did you feel leading up to that? Were there any different nerves? Was it a different experience because you're focusing on a whole extra set of people? Like there's extra responsibility, clearly, but what did it feel like heading away on your on your third trip, which was your first official trip as a staff member? Yeah, there were definitely mixed emotions. I think um, physically I prepared a lot more this time for the trip because I knew that I needed to be physically fit not just for myself but if someone was to get injured or you know someone needed extra assistance I needed to make sure that I was there to to be that person and to help out so um, I, I wouldn't say there was pressure I just I physically prepared a lot more for for the trip that time um, obviously did all the, all the training um, in first aid and that type of thing uh, leading up to that trip, um, which was really exciting, and I always love, you know, getting back to study and and learning all those things as well. So, um, yeah, we did that trip with um, mates for mates. So that was another part that was really exciting for me because I um, had never met, um, you know, ex-military or people that were currently serving um, in the army that had been, you know, to Afghanistan and and to Iraq and had experienced, um, you know, the current wars and previous wars as well. Mm. So I was really looking forward to getting to know, um, you know, them and, and their stories if they wanted to share them, which some uh, really did and really opened up to. Um, yeah, so again, that experience in itself was just all engrossing in, in the war history itself um, because the people that, that came on the trip uh, we're really interested in that and then obviously sharing their experiences to go uh, with that. Yeah, it was really humbling to be a part of. The Kokoda Track Podcast, hosted by former soldier Glenn Azar. To give um, listeners of the podcast who don't know us personally or our business necessarily, because this podcast is for everyone, but to give them context around that, um, you know, for the last four years we've been running trips for Queensland RSL-backed a charity called Mates for Mates, and we deal with PTSD sufferers and injured um, soldiers from all the way. We've been all the way back to the Vietnam War, so we've taken guys in their 70s from Vietnam, Somalia, East Timor, Afghanistan, Iraq, and it is like to me that's my world. I spent 17 years full time mm-hmm. in the army, but for you guys who were loving military history already, to then be 
immersed in with other veterans and see one the problems they have but two the connection yeah. of their war versus this war and again i always say we don't glorify war but what we're trying to help these other soldiers understand or not just soldiers air force and navy as well is they're not alone because soldiers suffering ptsd feel alone and you're just letting them know that you're not alone other people have been through this there are currently people going through it and try and build that mateship and we seem to well, the Kokoda track has a massive success rate of getting through to people like that, but also to civilians. Like, there's a you see a massive change in everyone that comes over, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I remember we had two um, civilians that came on that trip as well. I think they had to cancel a trip previously with you, and um, and you got them on. And yeah, for me, um, I always love just listening to people and listening to their stories, and and that's what that trip did for me. I was just able to. Um, really, you know, sit back and listen to their stories and the experiences that they'd been through and then at the same time be able to, you know, subtly help them through that journey al- along the trip because, you know, it was an absolute honour to be in the presence of these people and to see yourself, um, you know, working with them along that trip. Absolutely. Yeah, absolute honour for me. Now, my favourite trip of ours, I think, and, and I love all of my trips, but I really did like that last one for a few reasons. We had kids as young as 11 through to people in their 60s. We had uh, Leon Pendry, a plumber from Tassie, who put in hot water services, solar hot water services, one of the villages. We had uh, Dr James, who came and did medical treatments with the local villagers and porters. We had Keith Fennell, our good friend and former SAS soldier, on his first ever Kokoda, and he brought his family and his kids. Like That was just an amazing mixture of people and it was such a cool trip wasn't it oh absolutely and you know i remember saying you know it's, it's a really big group this is going to be interesting and i said you know i think it's going to work because I, i'd called all of them um eight, eight weeks out and leading up to the trip and just listening to their personalities on the phone i thought no this is going to be a really good trip and it turned out to be an absolute cracker and you know the kids they did such a good job they even held up you know some of the adults during the day and yeah, everyone just gelled from, you know, the families. They connected with other groups and, and other people. And, you know, when when some person was having a, a really bad day, you know, some of the kids came up to them and, and helped them for the last leg down into the village. Like, it was just so good to see. And everyone, you know, there was good humour. Yeah, it was just such a good group for the, like you said, just the variety of, of personalities and people um, for that trip. And yeah, the, and that was an thing, amazing trip. Well, yeah. I guess the other thing to point out there is that, uh, and for people that are not aware, that you're a school teacher by trade. And yeah. so yeah. I guess what do you feel is in it for kids, you know, to, to get out of this? So I've taken so many people over that have taken their kids over with them and they get so much out of it, in my opinion. But I'm biased because, you know, I love doing Kokoda. But, um, yeah. yeah, what do you think from a from a teaching point of view, I guess? Well, I think maturity is the biggest thing that they get out of it. Um, a lot make, you know, a few of the kids were, I don't know how to word it, um, not snobby about coming over, but maybe thought, you know, maybe a bit too big for their boots and thought, you know, I'm going to smash this. And, um, you know, they had a, a couple of them had a few um, tough days and then you could just see that once they sucked it up and they thought, all right, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to get through this for my family, Um and they thought about the bigger picture and, you know, and we gave them encouraging words and and they got through that day. To see the growth from the start to the end of the trip was just 
astounding. And, you know, the talks that we do at the end of the trip back at the hotel and to hear the maturity in their conversation and in their appreciation for what we've done for them and for what their family's done for them to get them through that journey, I think is, for me, one of the, the most valued things that I see is that maturity that the kids, um, yeah, they experience on that trip itself. And the more kids I think that we can get over there, the better. Yeah, I've actually, it is, it's a yeah. life-changing experience, yeah, and I don't absolutely. say that lightly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I say it to people all the time. But you've got to experience, and obviously, it can sound like a sales pitch because this is what we do. But yeah. it's not yeah, a sales absolutely. pitch; it's just a fact. Um, we've seen more and more school groups going over, which is great, and we personally are looking to get into more of that. Um, because we love empowering kids, obviously, with you know my own kids having been over there at young ages and so on. But yourself um, and Keith being school teachers, I think we get a great connection through that. But I see a lot of other trekking groups taking kids over, and I love it. I think it's it's something that needs to be done. It keeps the spirit of Kokoda alive, which to me is really important, and that's a large part of this podcast, is one, to give people information who might be thinking of going, two, people who've been get a bit of a reconnection with their story because all our stories can be similar but three, it's just about keeping the spirit of this whole thing alive for generations to come. Yeah, absolutely. And that's essential um, for our generations and the younger generations because you do see it in schools. Um, you know, we teach it in the syllabus, in history, and, and some kids take interest, but a lot of them are really haphazard about it. And they need to have that authentic experience, um, you know, and they need to they need to see what our, our veterans have done and, and what our soldiers did fighting for our country um, to really appreciate... Um, you know, how lucky we actually are. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about logistics, I guess. Um, what would you not go to Kokoda without? So what are some of the you think must-haves that just make the trip a better experience for you? Um, personally, um, you know, we have a full pack list and all that type of thing, which is, um, you know, essential to go through and tick off. Um, but for me personally... Um, it would probably be those disinfectant, um, the towels that you use, antibacterial wipes, oh, very yeah. essential. Yeah, more so for females, if I can say that. <laughs> well, that's the other point because obviously I'm not a female, so it's good for, for you. Yep. You could have tips that the other you know trek leaders yep. might not always have. But what about, is there yep. anything you've ever taken that you thought, why did I take this? I've just carried it for eight days and, and not used it. Just too much of the one thing. So things like, um, and I know you say, you know, pack five or six pairs of socks and those types of things, but it just depends on the trip itself. So if we have a wet trip and you've got wet shoes and you've got um, wet socks, I mean, you're going to have wet feet anyway. So to me, having, you know, three to four pairs is probably the max that I've found that, that you sort of need. Um yeah, I think just too much of one, you know, too many shorts, too many shirts, all that type of thing. You don't, once you're over there, as you know, you get muddy and you get sweaty. Everyone's going to smell the same. You really don't need that much stuff. So I think less is more um, when you're going over there. That's my tip. Favourite experience on the track? Out of the, all the trips you've done so far, is there one particular experience or one thing that's happened either with the locals, with someone on a trip, yourself, that stands out to you? favourite experience so now you put me on the spot because there's so many of them I know right I just often, I think I often think that there's sometimes something pops in their mind and it, you get off this podcast and something else will pop into your mind I get that but sometimes yeah. it's just that thing that you go yeah that was pretty cool 
Well, it probably was the first trip for me as a client and it was passing through the Golden Arches at the end for me. Um, yeah, it was just such an emotional experience for me and to finish and, yeah, you've just got this amazing feeling well, for me going through my body of, you know, you've actually done this, you've achieved this. Um, yeah, it was something that I knew I could do, but until I actually passed underneath, um, at Owl's Corner, I was like, oh, okay, I've actually done it. Um, yeah, so I think that first trip for me personally, um, being able to achieve that myself, you know, I was, I was really proud of the experience that I did. And, you know, Dad was, was quite sick at the time too and getting sicker. So doing, I sort of did that for him as well. So I was like, yeah, he's going to be really proud of what I've done. So, yeah, it was really cool. What about... Um fitness now I know you're fit and your PE is one of your things obviously through school you do a lot with soccer and other things but for just general yep. public listening and yes I know we give out a fitness program but not all companies do so if someone's listening and they're not sure what fitness program to do what would you kind of think works best for a general fitness training well I think the more hiking that you do in your boots the better and the more hours that you put in doing that the better so you know, it's, it is really about getting out there and, and doing your five, six-hour um, treks. They don't need to be strenuous to start with. Um, it's more putting in the caves and your, in your legs and just getting your body ready for those big endurance days. So having a pack on, you know, with five or six kilos to start with and gradually building that up to what, what we recommend um, for the trip. And I'd be doing it a couple of months out if you've got the time mm. because, you know, getting your body... Um, you know, getting that muscle memory um, ready for the trip and, and getting, you know, hike, hike fit, I think, is really essential. Obviously, the strength training and all that is um, an essential component as well because you need to be um, strong in case you, you pick up, you know, a subtle injury or something over there. But, yeah, I think those long walks are really important, um, yeah, to get your body ready for the trip. Well, I always say to people it's a... Uh a two-month, three-month, four-month, depending on where your fitness level is to start. But it's a, say it's a three-month commitment. It's not a 10-day commitment. The trekking, the track no. is not the commitment. The commitment is in the months of training leading up to it, just to make sure that you are, as you said, you're physically ready and able to be able to walk the track, to be able to look around and take in the sights, to be able to talk to the local people, rather than looking down at your feet just thinking, I hope I get through another day. Yeah, when's this going to end, essentially? And having that mental strain... Um, in your head the whole time, which you don't want. Like you said, you really want to experience um, what Kokoda's there for and, you know, enjoy that the war history and, and the local people and, and everything that that country brings. And like I said at the start, the more physically fit that you can be before you go. And I know people say, you know, I work 15-hour days and, and I've got three kids and it's just too hard. It's like, well, you've got to put the work in. And if you really want to enjoy the experience, the more work you put in, the better it's going to be. Do you have a favourite village along the track? Um, yeah, I do really enjoy Alola. Um, yeah, it's just a really nice village to come into, but it's hard. Like a fogey, half, the halfway point is That's a big favourite of mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's got a soccer pitch man, too, right? It's got the soccer pitch there. So as soon as we roll in, and I remember on the last trip we, we came in quite, not early, but, you know, around 3 o'clock, we had a good amount of time to, to throw a frisbee and, and throw a footy and a handball with the kids and, 
yeah, it's just such a cool atmosphere to enjoy. And you forget about the day that you've just had. You yeah. forget about the 10 hours you've just done on the track because you're enjoying that time with such beautiful kids. Um, yeah, I think if I, yeah, I'd have to say a fogey. Yeah, yeah, that's a favourite. I think a Lola is a favourite to us personally because that's where Killer and our boys come from. And yeah. it's so yeah. cool to watch... Uh, you see little kids coming out to meet dad um, and you see yeah. the boys get excited because they're coming to spend the night at home and and porters along the track are treated you know like demigods to the local population because they fully mm. are immersed in being the modern day fuzzy wuzzies they love that and so they hold a really high status on the track and they love it you can see every village they go through that spring in their step obviously and their heads are up and their chests are out but particularly when they come into their own village because their kids are coming out and seeing them do something that's such of such noteworthiness to to the local population i love that experience yeah and you just you see that confidence just perk up and after that that night at lol after the rest of the trip they they definitely have more of a spring in their step and they start to sing more and they just yeah they're more their characters come out more which is really cool to see as well so a lot of people do Kokoda compared to when I first started and, and a lot of people have done Kokoda. However, I still get a lot of people who contact me and will say, oh, I've been told it's dangerous and I've been told that there's... I listened to a, a podcast today actually off the ABC where the, a guy was talking about Kokoda. He hadn't been there obviously, but he was talking about trekking the Kokoda track and the battalions of leeches, which is so not true. You barely see any <laughs> leeches, but he was talking I've about... I've never seen one. No, nah, and he's talking about battalions of them. Um, and, and so there's always this fear factor around going and is it safe people judge the whole of png on the people of port moresby and they're very very different out on the track it's very, i don't know about you but i've never ever not felt safe out there um i guess what would you say to people who are thinking about doing it but are a bit nervous about one whether they're capable two whether it's safe just the whole appeal of the country what are your thoughts on on that well, I think, um, yeah, the authentic experience that you get of Papua New Guinea itself isn't until you go into the villages. I mean, you see a lot of different things when you fly in, um, into Port Moresby and, and you stay at the hotel and, you know, you see the security guards and you see the, the guarded fences, you know, the high fences and all that type of thing. But it's not until you actually step out of that truck um, when you get to Kokoda that you think, right, I, I feel like... I'm safe, I feel... And for me, obviously, I felt like I was home, which was really strange. Um, yeah, so I, I felt 100% safe along the track. And, and the porters that we um, have for our company, you know, they go above and beyond to make sure that we are safe and, and protected and, and, you know, that we have the best experience that we can. So, yeah, I, to those of you out there that are listening, um, you know, I, I wouldn't really listen to the stories that you've heard about, you know, is it safe, is it not safe? Obviously, you take the precautions in um, in those bigger towns and, and we make sure that that happens. Um, but once you hit Kokoda itself and, and you, you hit um, hit the track, it's, yeah, it's a different experience itself and you're just immersed in the culture and the people and, and safety doesn't even come into your mind, in my opinion. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Sammy, I just want to thank you for coming on the show today. Um, obviously, you and I are friends, and we've had a bit of a journey together through uh, through Kokoda, but I just feel you had such a different perspective to give to people because, you know, you came on the track, as I say, as a client, and you did that twice before you started coming as a trek leader. And do you ever have in mind how many you might end up doing? Uh, the more, the better. I just, <laughs> I love the place, so <laughs> the more I can get back, the better. Um, in time, yeah, I'd love to take 
to crack the big 50, <laughs> but Actually, we'll see what happens. Even as I asked that question, that was the number sitting in my head, funnily enough, to think. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I remember when I first started, I thought, oh, 50 is so far away. And now that I'm into yeah. the 60s, you think, well, 100's not that far away. And yeah. and people say, when will you stop? And yeah. I say, I would stop the day that I didn't like it anymore. Because I think that's yeah. a thing for life. You can't force yourself to do things you don't like. And if you didn't like it, you're not going to give clients great experiences. And that's so important to you and I, I know personally. Absolutely. And the yeah. boys, the local boys, Killer and his boys, aren't going to get a great time with us if we don't even want to be there. So... Yeah. But anyway, 50, that's our that's our first target, so we'll keep an eye on that. That's our goal. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming on the show, and, uh, and I really appreciate your time because I know it's a little bit tight, you know, to squeeze in with everything going on, but, yeah, love having you on. No, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Thanks for listening to the Kokoda Track Podcast. To get in touch or stay up to date, go to Kokoda Track Podcast on Facebook or email glenn at adventureprofessionals.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Let's keep the spirit and the stories of Kokoda and the PNG people alive.